Welcome to episode number 23 of the Technician Academy podcast hosted by ASE Master Technician Richard Young. This episode is powered by Extend Performance, performance marketing solutions for brands who compete and win. In episode number 23 of the Technician Academy podcast, Richard talks with Jill Trotta. Jill is an automotive professional consultant, ASC certified technician, and director of the automotive group at RepairPal. Jill has over 25 years of professional experience in the automotive industry. In episode 23, Jill and Richard discuss Jill's recent recognition by women in auto care, the importance of a properly trained technician, why the repair industry does not attract many female technicians or shop owners, and what types of innovations will change the industry. We hope that you enjoy episode 23 of the Technician Academy podcast powered by Extend Performance. Performance marketing solutions for brands who compete and win. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Jill Trotta on the line with us. Good afternoon, Jill. Hi, how you doing? Great. Jill, you're the director of the automotive group there at RepairPal. You've been in the industry quite some time, shop owner. Just kind of give us a background of where you're at in the industry. Well, I've been in the industry about 25 years now, which seems like a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) I started out as a technician. I'm ASC certified in eight areas. Uh, I've worked my way up from independent shops to dealerships. You know, uh, was a shop owner for a period of time, and and now I've landed here at RepairPal. I've also worked on both sides of fixed operations, so I've worked in service and in parts. So I have a pretty good understanding of the industry and uh, where it's been, and now I have a pretty good idea about uh, where it's going. So there at RepairPal, who do you work for? I mean, who's your customers? Well, we have two different customers. Our customers are really good quality shops in the industry who invest in training and invest in their customers. But we also have the largest consumer-facing auto site on the internet with about 4 million site visitors a month. Okay, that helps reference vehicle owners to repair shops, am I correct? Absolutely, and it gives them really good information about their car. So we are working really hard to become a trusted source of information for consumers. Okay. And you've been at RepairPal for quite some time, right? Yeah, I've been here almost five years. What's kind of the history of RepairPal? When did they start? The RepairPal started about 10 years ago, and it started with the estimator, and it's grown since then. So we actually just released our updated version of our estimator um, about five years ago. They added the certified shop program. When I started, there was about 120 shops in our program. And now there are, we're approaching 2,100 shops. And those shops are shops that have all been vetted. They're vetted on training. They're vetted on their customer service, on the tools that they have. We really make sure that the shops that we list and we provide for consumers are the best shops around. I caught something in that description that kind of caught my attention. You even look at the tools that they have? We do. We make sure that their tools that they have are up to date so that they have the latest and greatest scan tools. That So if a late model vehicle rolls into that shop, that they will be able to fix that car right the first time and that they have the training on board to be able to do that as well. Wow. That's pretty in-depth. That's great for the consumer. And I'm sure it helps out the repair shops also. 
Yeah, it does. And it, it really elevates them and it gives them, uh, you know, a stamp that they've been vetted by a third party as being a really good shop that is a good place to take their cars. You know, my final stamp of approval on a shop is if I would send my mother there by herself. Okay. Wow. I mean, the consumer in today's world can be a little leery of automotive repair shops. And I think part of that, it comes from the media, but sounds like your service really kind of eliminates that. Yeah, we try really hard to do that. And, you know, we've put processes in place and we do a lot of checking and we do a lot of ongoing checking and monitoring of our shops to make sure that when a consumer goes in there that they get the best possible experience. And if they don't, then we actually are willing to step in and kind of, you know, mitigate for the between the shop and the consumer. Because a lot of times, you know, the shop is doing the right thing and maybe the communication broke down or or something along those lines. So being able to come in as a third party and talk to the shop and talk to the consumer and kind of create a bridge for them is something that we really work hard to do. You know, we really work hard to bring trust and transparency. Well, that's great. That's great. So I contacted you. I think we talked on the phone about two, two and a half weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I contacted you because you were named as an award winner with the Women in Auto Care Association. You want to tell us about that award? (laughs) Yeah, it's actually a pretty awesome and and very humbling and a great honor. I was named the 2017 Women in Auto Care Woman of Excellence. And it's a really great honor, especially the women in that group are women who are very accomplished and who work hard in the industry. So to be recognized by them is probably one of like the greatest things that has ever happened to me. Well, that's, and I've had the pleasure. In fact, uh, we met up face to face at the women in auto care reception (laughs) out in apex last week. Glad you made it back home safely. I did make it home safely, (laughs) you know, got out of Vegas alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good thing. But being able to go, I mean, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to, be at the women in auto care reception the last two years in fact technician academies received some awards there but mm-hmm. one thing i have found with talking with the women and in that association they're extremely professional and i think it's a long time coming a woman's position within the industry and i would like to see it more but you know when you mm-hmm. say that this is a humbling award i also believe from what i've seen and in, in my Due diligence of researching about you, Jill, it's it's a deserved award. I think you've moved the needle quite a bit for the women in the industry. So I congratulate you on on that and winning the award. Thank you. Yeah. So how long have you been a member with the Women in Auto Care? I've been a member of Women in Auto Care coming up on four years. You know, I've worked really hard in that four years to really create a footprint for um, RepairPal and you know, our mission and what we do, but also for myself and for women in the industry. You know, I've been in it a long time and I really do believe that, you know, when I started 25 years ago, like, I don't think there's a whole lot more women in the industry now than there were back then. I think we're more visible now and we've kind of worked our way up into different positions and and higher profile positions. But, you know, I I think that there's really a lot of work to be done to show women that this is a really good industry. I believe that the future leadership of this industry is going to be with the women. I definitely see women taking more prominent roles in the industry. Mm -hmm. 
It's still a large percentage are male-dominated positions, but it's good to see that transition. And I think that mm-hmm. women and, and men in the industry need to be together to work to move the industry forward. Exactly. Uh, and to rehab some of the image that it has uh, earned for itself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and there's really like prominent women out there like uh, Laura Suave, who is the CMO of Federal Mogul on the 2017 Woman of the Year. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a really dynamic woman who has been involved with a lot of different auto companies. And she's really like out there, you know, working the pavement and, and um, she's got great women on her team and she surrounds herself with really strong female leaders and she's developing them as well. And it's kind of um, the mission of the women's board. Well, it used to be women's board. Now it's women in auto care and Tammy Hacklenberg, who is the, you know, president and she's actually my mentor. She's the one who started the mentorship program. And I really can truly say that without her leadership and her guidance that, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think mentorship is a very valuable piece. And I promote mentorship. We at Technician Academy promote it, even with young technicians that are in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we visit a lot of community colleges and put on for some free training programs. And I think mentorship is a vital piece of moving this industry, moving the needle, taking that wisdom that those who are already in positions Mm-hmm. And be able to transfer that to those who want to be in those positions. So, yes, that's yeah. extremely important. So why the automotive industry? I mean, you're originally from Southern California, I guess. No, I actually am originally from Northern California. Northern but California. Um, shortly after college, I moved to Southern California. And I was working, I uh, actually have a degree in recreational therapy and I was working at a home for developmentally disabled adults and driving a an old Volkswagen bug that I just loved. But it always broke down. And um I had been working for a like a nursing home chain essentially that took care of older developmentally disabled adults and I got laid off from this job and I was sitting there and my car was broken down. I didn't have any money because I'd just been laid off and I was watching late night TV and it said, you too can become an automotive technician. There was a commercial on TV. (laughs) I was like, that would be a really practical thing to do. And my uncle at the time was um, owned an auto shop and he used to make me come. And when my bug broke down, he would actually make me fix it myself. So I saw that commercial and I was like, huh. I could become an automotive technician. So I called and I went to school for a, did an 18 month program in nine months and graduated second in my class and became an automotive technician. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of went from there much to the chagrin of my father, who is not very happy about me, you know, finishing college. And then um, within three years after that, going and becoming an automotive technician, which, um, you know, it was frowned upon. Right. And, and that's, that's a stigma. I think that we still have, I think that the general public still kind of looks at the automotive technician in that way in the, in, in the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. But I, I can imagine your father having a daughter myself. I can imagine your father's thoughts on that, but mm-hmm. obviously I think it was the right fit for you the things yeah. that you've done and the, and the enjoyment you get from the industry. So speaking of that, you know, you, you watch the late night ad 
finished the program in half the time, mm-hmm. moved into the automotive industry as a repair technician. Mm-hmm. So what do you enjoy about the automotive industry? I mean, what draws you to stay in the automotive industry? You know, I think the automotive industry is full of really genuine people who really want to help. You know, it's kind of, you know, there's doctors and there's car doctors and lives break down when people's cars break down. So having people who really want to keep things moving and show up for people in a way and fix their second most you know, valuable possession, their house and their car. Those are the things that you spend the most on. So I think the genuine people that are in the industry are what really keeps me going. And, you know, I I really, five years ago before I found RepairPal and, and the uh, women in auto care, I was, I was pretty much done with the industry. I didn't want to be a part of the industry anymore. And I was really trying to look at ways to take what I know because, you know, you're talking about a 20-year career and waylay it into something different. And (laughs) that something different uh, was going to be be a fleet manager for Avis Budget rental car at the San Francisco airport and manage their fleet of 1,500 cars. And at the last minute, I saw an ad on Craigslist and it said, are you an automotive technician, uh, master, ASC certified, wants to do something different? And I was like, yeah, that's me. And I showed up and it was RepairPal. Oh, wow. And at the time, RepairPal was very small. There was like 14 people. It was in a really hot little office near the ballpark. And it was more, you know, there was 120 shops and they were just trying to, the estimator was in place and just trying to get it going. And they offered me the job, and at the time, it didn't make any sense to take the job, <laughs> just um, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, I said yes, and they said, don't you want to go home? Brett, who is the VP of my group still, said, don't you want to go home and think about it over the weekend? And I said, if I go home and think about it over the weekend, this doesn't make sense in my life at this point. And um, so I'm going to say yes right now and come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's been quite a ride ever since, a good ride. Well, I believe that Brent is glad you didn't go home on that, (laughs) to think about it. I I had a brief moment to speak with him at the Women Auto Care reception, Uh and I think he's pretty pretty happy that you uh, made the decision that, that day, so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, him and Art and the leadership here at Repair Powell have been very supportive. And, you know, Art, the CEO here, is a true um, leader. And he really, like, is good at letting us know what his vision is and where we're going and, and brings us back to the values and why we're doing what we're doing. And that keeps me going. And that, uh, I would have to say, is, is one of the key things to being a good leader is being able to transfer that vision, that knowledge to the employees. So, yeah, it, that sounds like a great fit. So, you know, you mentioned something there. You were talking about leaving the Bay. And I think it's extremely important. You know, I, I'm able to, to be in front of several young technicians of tomorrow, and, and I always tell them that, you know, just because you start out in the bay and, or you start out on the lube rack, mm-hmm. in this industry, as broad as this industry is and as deep as this industry is, you don't have to stay there. 
So I, I think that story that really is important for you know those young people that are looking at entering this industry, mm-hmm. being able for them to see that you know there's a lot more depth than just working on cars. Yeah, I mean, I started changing oil and doing smog checks, and then I moved into being a service advisor. Then the next job, I was an assistant service manager, and then into a service manager role, and then moved back to like managing a large independent. To then, I became the assistant parts director for Mercedes Benz when Smart launched. So I was in charge of the parts side of Smart when it first launched in the U.S for San Francisco, which was a pretty big job and something I had no experience in. But uh, I was able to uh, (laughs) pull that off um, to joining a team, and we opened a shop from the ground up. She now, you know, went back to the dealership and was a a assistant service manager, um, wrote service for a little while longer, decided that wasn't really my cup of tea any longer. And uh, here I am at RepairPal. So I've kind of worked a lot of different places in the industry, and there's so many different positions and so much opportunity out there. So, you know, you might start in Lube Bay, but you don't know where you're going to end up. And even where I sit now, I don't know where I'm going to end up in the industry. It, it, I definitely do think it will be in this industry. You know, I'll still be in it in five or 10 years, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and all those. There's so much opportunity. Absolutely. And all those positions, all those different locations and, and positions, that gives you a special talent to be able to go in and talk to these shops. You're able to talk to mm-hmm. them on their level and, and, and shop talk with them. So, yeah, that's it's extremely important. Yeah. And that's been kind of my superpower is to be able to go and talk to them at their level and, and what, you know, understand like what they're going through and the challenges that they face and try to, you know, help. And a lot of what I do every day is I talk to shops and I have a a much broader view because when you're running your own shop, you get really laser focused on what's going on in your shop and you might not know what's going on around. It's focused on what's going on around you. And I'm fortunate now to be able to kind of, provide some of that information for them oh, yeah. yeah so all that wisdom you're bringing are you sharing that currently as a mentor in uh, women in auto care i do i have a, a mentee um i am not great about talking um <laughs> with her we, we we talk a lot but i'm not i'm not super great about talking but what i hope to do and it's the example that's always been provided to me by my mother and the women leaders that i've been around is walking the walk and being the example of what a good leader is and what a professional in the industry looks like in the way that I present myself and in the way that I I interact in the industry and in the help that I do provide. That is my hope that just the way that I am is a good example of leadership and mentorship. Yeah, I think you're doing well at that. So standing on the outside looking in, I, I think you're doing well at that. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about mm-hmm. technicians and, you know, when we talk about technicians in this industry, and, and I'm sure you've been hearing it for as long as I have, the shortage of technicians. Do you, on a personal level and working with these shops, do you believe that there is truly a shortage of trained technicians or is there just a shortage of, of technicians in general? 
I think that there is a shortage of trained technicians. I think that there has been maybe a loss of focus on the training that is needed. And I also think that the amount of technology that's in cars now has grown more in the last five years, say, than in the past 20. So things are changing more and more and more rapidly. And I think shops get really laser focused just on what's going on inside their shop and they lose focus about what's going on in the industry as a whole and what's coming. They're trying to fix the car in their their day today and they're not focusing the energy they need to on the car that's going to be in their bay in three years, the car that's going to be in their bay in two years. So I think it's the training, and I think that there needs to be a refocusing on that training. I do also think that shops who aren't doing the training in the last five years are going to kind of fade away. And I agree with those points. I believe that there is a shortage of trained technicians. I think you can find anybody that can turn a wrench, but can they do it to the to the point that they do quality work and, and fix the car right the first time? I think there is a shortage of those. Mm-hmm. Do you see, mm-hmm. because I, I was just talking to a, a lady here in the office uh, this morning, and I've been doing training at community colleges for six years now. And when I first started, mm-hmm. you know, you may have one female in the training programs, mm-hmm. one for out of six schools. You may have just one female that was in, in those automotive programs in six different schools. Mm-hmm. And now I'm seeing it about 10 to 12 percent of the students in each school is female so what's your opinion on that how that's going to help the shortage of trained technician and what's the value of having that female opinion and and ideas and direction you know I, i think it really is going to help the industry and i think that there's a lot of focus like i worked on the chevy montage car build with um you know bogey and the 90 women from across the country Uh to bring more awareness to hey it's a viable field and i think a lot of the work that a lot of us have done in the past is starting to you know women are seeing it as something they can do i think that they bring a different perspective i think attention to detail and the diagnostic capabilities of, of a woman are really high. And I think that they will make very good diagnostic technicians. I know that, you know, dealing with customers and the empathy that is involved there, women are really well suited for that. So there's all different parts of the industry and it's exciting to see more and more women coming in. And I have heard that from several programs that, you know, when I went to my mechanic school, to my trade school, there was only two of us in, in a class of like 400. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's very close to the percentages I just spoke about. So uh, seeing that transition has been been rewarding. The one thing I will say uh, about the women, the female students, I have yet to be in front of a classroom where there's a female student and the instructor doesn't say the female student is, is at the top of her class. So she's, she's mm-hmm. like you said, she's laser focused and then very attention oriented. Yeah. Why? Well, even when I was in school um, and, and throughout my career, you know, people ask me like, what have you done to be successful? And I think, you know, have you experienced like discrimination or anything like that? And my answer is not really, but 
I think the main difference is when I have been hired for jobs and as a technician or as a service advisor, if my male counterpart is hired for a job, they're going to assume, and this is my, maybe it's my assumption, maybe it's my perception that the guy knows what he's doing and it's, he's going to have that assumed knowledge. I am going to have to prove it. But what that has done for me is I always come in at the top of my game and I always come in like, you know, especially in, a, in an environment where we're writing service or there's some sort of commission base or competition that number two is not good enough for me. Mm-hmm. I want to be number one. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's very true. Being able to bring that perspective and that's an interesting perspective. I've never heard that put quite that way. And, and I can see where that, that would happen, you know, that perception of, of the, the male being more experienced at it or something such as that. But yeah, I went to school many, many, many years ago and, um, there was one female in the class and, uh, she was probably, and still is probably one of the best technicians I've ever been around. Uh, it's almost like she can read a car's mind. So mm-hmm. she isn't the norm, but it does tell me that that right and left side of the brain works a little bit different than mine. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've, we see the shortage of technicians. We hear the shortage of technicians. What do you think this industry or why this industry hasn't attracted more females until the last two or three years? I just think that it's not out there as something that females should do. Like my dad was very discouraged that I would think to enter this industry. (laughs) And I think it's not something that, you know, automatically comes to mind is like, Oh, you have a mechanical mind. You should become an automotive technician. I don't think that that comes to people's mind. I don't think until they see it, until they see projects like the montage, until they get involved with a program like tech force or, or something like that, that, it even comes to their mind that that's a viable option and one that you can make money in it, that it's not, you know, a low paying job. If you are a good quality technician, you have the certifications, you have the know-how, you're going to make decent money. Yeah. I think that's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that has hindered both the female and the male from moving mm-hmm. from high school into a trades associated, whether it be automotive or, uh, HVAC repair or carpentry, I think we all Mm -hmm. suffer from a little bit of that. You know, I'm thankful that I don't know if thankful is the right word that my, if my daughter would have wanted to become an automotive technician, I'm not sure how I would have reacted to that either. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of setting me back there a little bit, uh, making me have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily I had an uncle or I still have an uncle. He's still alive. And he had an auto shop, and we used to go visit him every summer in Los Angeles. We were from the Bay Area, and he would have us work at his auto shop, and then he would take us to Disneyland or Magic Mountain as payment. So I grew up from the time I was like 10 to probably 13 or 14 every summer working in his gas station and auto shop, doing simple things, um, checking oil, changing wipers, pumping gas, things like that, but being around the shop, it was something that... You know, he had put out there as something you can do. And like I said, he made me fix my own car <laughs> instead of him fixing it for me. He would he would step in if, if he needed to. But 
for the most part, he gave the idiot's guide to Volkswagen repair and said, fix it. <laughs> so, I mean, definitely you're well-established in the industry and, and, and doing a great job there. You told me some of the numbers of, of the customers you've helped bring into repair pal. So you're doing exceptional in that. And like I said, I mean, people in the industry have high regards for you. What type of future personal goals do you have when it comes to this industry? You know, I just want to get RepairPal to where it's a household name, where people really understand what we're doing. You know, that's been a, a large part of my mission in the last five years is is to get people to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, you know, to understand the why of it. And the why is so that the end user, who's the consumer, gets the best possible experience that they can at a quality shop. You know, a lot of people talk about our estimator and our estimator is designed to be fair, not only fair for consumers, but also fair for the good quality shops that make up our network. It's designed to create like a a level playing field because the industry is changing so much and there's so much price transparency out there that there needs to be a place for people to come together into like a, a level playing field. And that's what we're trying to do. I want it to be when people go into a shop that they recognize that it's a great shop, that the shop owner has made all the investments in the training and the tools and the things that they need to make the investment in to provide the customer with a fixed right first time experience. Well, I I think it's very important and briefly mentioned it earlier, but you know, the media has been pretty bad about downplaying our positions and, and the industry as a whole kind of give us the we're out to rip off the the consumer the the vehicle owner oh yeah i can tell you the number of times i've been contacted by the media to do things that involve like going in and doing stings with shops and you know get them to go into a shop and and catch them like ripping people off and and i don't participate in those kind of things at all just because those aren't the people in the industry that I know. Those aren't the people in the industry that, you know, we are focusing on. So, you know, maybe those things, uh, we all know that they do exist out there, but I don't think it's the norm. But I think that when you give them that kind of press and you give them that, elevate them like that, that it, it really is is damaging. And, you know, I never want to be a part of that. Yeah. And it is it is damaging. It just takes one one shop that doesn't operate morally or ethically to affect the image of the entire industry. And that's, that's a shame. It does that. Yeah. And we've all seen those shops that, well, maybe you wouldn't take your car there. I've been fortunate Mm -hmm. to, uh, to be able to travel the country and see different shops. And, you know, you walk into some of these shops and you can literally eat off the floor. They're mm-hmm. just so clean and immaculate and everybody's polite. And it's just a, a pleasure. It makes you want to go back whether your car is broke or not, you know, mm-hmm. just be able to go back to that, that atmosphere. So, yeah, I mean, and I, and I believe, I, I truly believe, and you can, you're, you're probably in a better position to tell me that than any, but I believe there's more shops like that than there are the ones that's wanting to, wanting to cheat someone or, or steal from someone. Absolutely. You know, the people of this industry and the shop owners that are out there on the front lines every day are honest, hardworking people. 
and they invest and they invest in their customers and they invest in their training and their tools and in all the things that makes them a great shop. And they do it because they want to help people. And you get, you know, the onesie twosie shop that is the outlier that really takes advantage of the situation and of customers that gives everybody a black eye. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to be in front of a group of college students here next week doing some training. And so would it be honest to tell them that, you know, if you're getting ready to be hired by a repair shop, if, if they have a repair pal association that they've been checked above and held to a higher level, would that be an honest statement? Absolutely. And those are the shops that are probably going to invest in their training and in the to make sure that they stay up to date and that, you know, that in five years that they're still going to be a technician with relevant training and that will be able to work on more modern cars. You know, I just bought a, a hydrogen vehicle. They're selling them in California, so I leased it from Toyota. And that's a really great example of that's what's coming. And if you don't know how to work on it, you know, even me, I look under the hood and I attend a lot of training every year and I have no idea <laughs> about about my car. <laughs> but you know, that was interesting in, in our prior discussion on the phone, prior to recording the podcast, you had mentioned that and uh-huh. I was in question of, is there enough places to refuel across California? You told me that there was. So there are. I think there's 29 stations right now. So it's not like gas stations. You definitely have to um, put some planning into it. There's one fairly close to my house within six miles. So it's pretty, it's fairly convenient. It's not as convenient as gas, but it, you know, for the, um, to be able to drive that car and to be a part of that technology and, and get input. Every every six months, we have to take the car in, and, and they do like a little interview about the car. And to be able to give input on what's coming in the future is pretty powerful and something I'm really into. So Yeah, I can see that. So my question is, can you, I mean, is there fueling stations, if you were to leave California, is there fueling stations beyond California? Not at this time. They're building infrastructure right now between New York and Boston. And in California, I could drive from the Bay Area up to Tahoe and down to the border um, of Mexico around San Diego uh-huh. area. I could go all, I could, there's infrastructure to support that area. Okay. But there's, you know, plans to develop that, you know, nationwide. And there's all different ways that they're talking about doing that. I follow obviously a lot of forums and I'm involved with a lot of forums and a lot of, uh, you know, Toyota people and Honda people are on there who are the two main people who are, or have a vehicle currently in the market. So it's coming, it'll be a little while. And right now, like I said, it's just the, the infrastructure is almost built between Boston and New York and it's all over California. And you actually had to apply to get the car. (laughs) To tell them why you wanted it and, you know, were you able to handle it and did you understand the limitations? But it gets about 300 miles to the tank, so it's about the same as a, as a gas car. So I just, it just make it a part of my routine to, you know, run by a station once a week and put the hydrogen in. What about the car? And I thought about this question after we talked what about the car that what's the one thing about the car that surprised you or you're impressed with? 
I'm impressed with the attention to detail that Toyota put into the car. So it's a luxury vehicle. So, you know, Prius is Toyota's, you know, flagship vehicle at this point. And it's a very utilitarian vehicle, whereas the Mariah is a very luxury vehicle. It's got all the Toyota sense on it. It's, it's, they put like all their technology, except for the sound system in that car, everything <laughs> in that vehicle is about technology and what's uh-huh. out there and what's coming, wow. you know, and then they put Intune in it, which is not great, but um, everything else from, you know, adapt, the radar cruise control to collision avoidance systems to, you know, it's got heated seats all the way around. It's got those seats in it are like really, really quality like leather and it's just a very nice car. It's comfortable to drive. It's electric. So the acceleration is pretty good. The handling and performance of the vehicle are nice. So as infrastructure increases, it sounds like you, you like the vehicle and would be something you might recommend to someone if they fit the, fit the profile. Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is um, Toyota wants it to be obviously the Tesla killer. And I took a road trip to L.A. and halfway between here and L.A. there's a station. So I pull into the station and right next to where the hydrogen pump is is where all the Tesla charging stations Uh are. And there's all the Teslas parked and charging there. And uh, it took me five minutes to fill my car up and keep going. And those guys had to stay there for like an hour. Yeah, that, uh, that is a downfall. Yes, I agree with that. And yeah. it is a positive of the hydrogen too. Yeah. So being in the automotive industry for quite some time, do you have any hobbies that aren't automotive related? Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with my family. Between my travel schedule and work, that I don't have a lot of time to for hobbies, but my hobby is kind of my family. It's super important to me. So I usually find fun things to do with um, our nieces and my mom spent a lot of time there. So that's kind of what drives oh, me. That's great. That's great. So if I was to ask you to do a keynote speech and let's say we had a group of young high school age students, uh, five, 600 mm-hmm. in the room. And you, you had the opportunity and you were, you were going to have the opportunity to speak to them about, about the automotive industry and your experience and, and what you feel about the automotive industry. What, what would you tell them? I would tell them that to think about like the future of the automotive industry, like when, the computer industry was just like exploding and that's where all the jobs were. And I feel like that's what the automotive industry is doing now. The technology that's involved in the cars today and in the industry, just different aspects of the industry, the shop management tools that are out there and all those things. It's, it's not like your shade tree, greasy mechanic industry anymore. It's like it's going to be, it's an industry for people who really love technology in people who really like to help other people. It's kind of like the marriage of that. So if, you know, if, if you really are love technology and you really love people, it's a really good place for you to be. And that is a very true statement. I mean, the marriage of the two technology and, and people, uh, the automotive industry does fit that bill. Yes. Mm-hmm. I always tell, you know, people that 
you have to fix the person first and then you can fix their car. So is that some of the training that RepairPal provides to the shops? Is that type of that type of training? We talk to the shops a lot about like their phone answering. You know, I tell shops all the time that, you know, shops see us as like a lead generation tool in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways we are. And we're driving, you know, good quality customers into auto shops. But we can make your phone ring a hundred times a month. But if you don't know how to treat people and you don't know how to talk to people, they're not going to come to your shop. So you need to be really on your game as to how you talk to people and how you treat people and, you know, converting those leads and and being able to understand people and and what they're really asking and what they really want is, is critically important. That's why the the training for your, the front of the house is as important, if not more than the back of the house. I would say they're both at different times. I would say that one will outweigh the other, but uh, you know, I've seen some really great technicians and some of the best I've ever known in my 30 plus years try to run a shop and they just, they don't have those skills and not that they couldn't learn them, but there was nobody there to teach them, mm-hmm. to train them, those skills to, to make that ability in the bay become the ability to run the shop. Mm-hmm. So making that transition is extremely, extremely tough. It can be. In fact, me and Shari Pheasant, that was one of our discussions. I had her on the podcast recently, and mm-hmm. you know, sh- that truly is tough for the technician to become the, mm-hmm. the shop owner and make that transition and be able to speak to the customer. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of like the the challenge that our industry has had. You have people who are really talented at fixing cars, and but not really talented out at dealing with people. And then you have the, you know, you have that marriage and a lot of miscommunication can happen there. And then that miscommunication turns into a lot of really just misunderstanding and ugliness. Yeah, it creates some ill feelings and possibly the loss of a customer or, or the a shop having to close. So that's that's a shame. And, and shops are closing regularly. Yeah. I, I, it was a staggering number. I just seen recently the number of shops that are, are closing yearly. So that that's that's a mm-hmm. staggering number kind of concerning one of the reasons was technology that they were closing mm-hmm. so that, that was the interesting thing at the beginning of this podcast where you mentioned that making sure these shops have the tools mm-hmm. i hadn't even thought about that uh so yeah that's that's a great piece mm-hmm. so i know you've got the hydrogen car but is there a car out there that's been manufactured or being manufactured that you'd really like to have in your garage Oh, yeah. Convertible uh, E36 uh, M3 BMW. (laughs) Yeah. What color? I don't know. I kind of like the yellow one. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. You know, it's kind of flashy and kind of, you know, but if you're going to drive a convertible M3, either that or all black, completely blacked out. Blacked out, yeah. I can see that. That Mm -hmm. The yellow kind of surprised me, but uh, I can see the blacked out, yes. Yeah, I've had uh, several E36 convertible 325s, but if I were going to buy any car right now, it'd be, you know, an older E36 M3 convertible. They they are a nice car. Mm -hmm. And there's some technology in those cars, yes. Yeah, there is. I worked for Dynan Engineering for about five years and really uh, fell in love with BMWs there. You know, I've been in the, the car industry for so long that I'm not really that enamored by cars. 
except for the M3 and my Mirai. You know, the joke is that if I could sleep in my Mirai, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you're in the automotive industry. And I think we all experience that being automotive industry for quite some time. You don't get, I mean, there are particular cars that just, you've got to look at, but Mm -hmm. as a general rule, it's not, you know, not everyone. So Jill, I've enjoyed our conversation. I've enjoyed the time that you've allowed me, but you know, and I love the work that you're doing with repair pal. I'm, I'm thankful that you educated me on that a little bit. So I think that's a needed, needed resource that these shops need. What's the closing thoughts you'd, you'd tell the listeners today about the automotive industry or repair pal or yourself? What do you want to leave them with? That to just the automotive industry is filled with the most genuine, hardworking people that you'll ever meet. Um, and that just, invest in the training and invest in in your people because going forward that's going to be critically important to to the success of the industry and of you individually and that you're worth the investment good words good words so one more question about repair pal does repair pal provide some of that training we do actually now we have partnered with one of the leading training organizations and shops who don't qualify for our program, we have a training option for them if they don't qualify. And we can provide that for 90 days at no charge, you know, because we're truly committed to making the industry a better place. So when a consumer goes to get their car fixed, that it gets fixed right the first time that they have a good experience. So you're not just throwing the shops that don't qualify. You're not just throwing them to the wayside. You're, you're giving them an option to try to try to improve themselves and meet their, meet the requirements. Yeah. I used to have a lot of discussions with them about it and talk to them about what they can do and what, what they see. But this is the first time that we've actually had something tangible to give to them and to really partner with them and help them to improve. Well, that's great. I think from talking to you and, and, and doing a little bit of research on repair pal. I think you're you personally, and then repair pal as a whole are improving the industry. Uh, so I thank you for that. Having been a veteran in the industry for 30 plus years, like I said, it's good to see, it's good to see the improvement. So thank you for that. We're trying hard. <laughs> so again, I, I want to tell you, I, I thank you for your time. I thank you for being a part of the podcast. I want to congratulate you once again on your award through women in auto care. That's an extreme award to, to receive out of all the professional women that are part of that. I can see you mentioned it was humbling and, and it would be just meeting some of the women in women in auto care that, uh, they are top professionals. Mm-hmm. We all work really hard. So <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it was a given award. I don't think it was just, no, Oh, we didn't have anybody else to pick from. I can definitely say that. You know? No, that definitely wasn't the case, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think they made a wise choice. So, I appreciate But I, I want to thank you for your time again. I want to thank you for uh, being a part of the podcast. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk in the future. Thanks for including me. All right. Thanks, Jill. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Technician Academy podcast brought to you by Extend Performance. Don't forget to visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Technician.academy, built to educate.